What's going on, fight fans and degenerates alike? We are Fight Night here to discuss UFC San Diego here with Emperor G, Jiu-Jitsu Dan, and myself. Uh, you know, guys, just to start off, we hit big on that over one and a half last week on the Hill-Santos fight. That was the conviction play of the week from all of us. That was a light bulb effect play from all of us. So just wanted to start that off on a positive note there. I mean, we got some fights to break into this one. And uh, I do want to announce we do have a special guest today. And that is Liam Picks Fights. You guys might know him from Twitter. You might know him from Action Network as well, one of the new Knights of DGen affiliates that we just signed a partnership with. So I'd like to welcome on Liam here to this fight stream and help us cap UFC San Diego. Liam, how you doing? I'm doing very well. Excited to break down the fights and very grateful for the opportunity. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. I mean, I know my boy Kevin's very excited to get you on, and we're, you know, we're happy we made it here eventually. As you guys could probably tell, a little change of scenery for me here. No guitar in the background. We got bedroom locks all day today, so uh, hopefully that brings some good juju. But, you know, guys, uh, we got an interesting card ahead of us. I'm not going to call it a great card, right? But it's definitely an interesting one, especially from a betting perspective here. I mean, obviously headlined by Chito Vera versus Dominic Cruz. And, uh, you know, it's an interesting fight because Dominic Cruz, one of the legends of the sport, bantamweight legend and then you see the the rapid rise of cheeto vera coming into this one we all saw what he did to rob Fonda's last time out i best explained it you know i i think i put it best that it looked like he got to use blunt objects in that fight against rob font by the time you know fight was all said and done but enough of me rambling on here we might as well get into the card we got bruno silva versus gerald gm3 Mearshart to start us off kev i'm gonna let you break this one down get into it. it's an interesting matchup here right we got someone with heavy hands like silva against someone that could end the fight at any given moment with a submission in Mearshart. So where are you leaning in this one? Yeah, man. So before I before I hop in, I want to give two brief shout-outs. Number one, Mr. Jiu-Jitsu Dan coming in with the clean sweep last week. Uh, How could I forget? I mean, yeah, you, you got to mention it because the man was definitely due. It, it was, you know, a few weeks in, it was like, man, it was just that moment where he's going to have a big night and that was it. And we're just going to continue to build. And then shout out to you, Matt. You're sounding awfully crisp on this fine morning with that beautiful mic of yours. So I feel good. You know, I've had the mic the whole time. I just was on the wrong computer. I couldn't hook it up. That's why, you know, change the scenery. Figured I'd give you guys some good audio. Right. And the lighting, man, you're looking, you're looking awfully fine. So uh, just super I excited. I got my UFC Long Island t-shirt on too. There it, so. is. there it is. This is going to be good destiny then. So listen, guys, uh, we all, we all know both guys bring to the table, right? I mean, Mearshart, he's, he's an absolute wizard on the ground. Um, the, the submissions are off the charts, you know, and it's a wide array of them too. You know, the, the, the rear naked chokes, the guillotine, the anacondas, you know, the Kimuras, the arm triangles, like the man just knows how to get it done in the submission game. And, you know, I have a ton of respect for the man. Uh, you know, he is nine and seven in the UFC. So he, you know, he's had his ups and downs. Um, it is, it is worth noting though, that, you know, out of his 34 wins, 26 are by submission. Like that's just off the chain. Um, so I do have a lot of respect from your chart. Uh, the line right now, last I looked, was what around like the minus two eighty range. Matt, minus two eighty five on DraftKings. Come back okay. on Mearshart plus two forty. And and I think that's pretty fair, man. I mean, you look at you look at Silva, man. I, I mean, he's a pure knockout artist. Uh, you know, he stood with Alex Pajeda for three rounds, and in, in some of those rounds, man, he was he was pouring it on himself, man. He was standing toe to toe with a man who, you know, is going to have a shot at the belt here in a few months. So have a lot of respect for both guys, but. You know, it just seems like Silva has that power, man. It's with this fight, it's really who's going to find the finish first, and that's what it just feels like it's going to come down to. Uh, really hard to envision a fight where this goes the full fifteen, just given uh, the dangerousness of both guys, right? I mean, both guys just have their tools and, and are able to execute. Um, so, 
you know, a lot of respect for both guys. You know, of course, Bruno Silva's three and one in the UFC. So, um, you know, he's kind of on this semi rise and this is a big fight from here where, you know, maybe he can get a, you know, top 10 guy. Um, but you know, going to be a, going to be a fun one. I expect, uh, a, a lot of fireworks, a lot of action here. Um, and no, no strong leans just given the value. Um, like my play, I feel like Silva's probably going to knock him out, but not, not a big fan of the line, just given Mearshart's uh, veteran style. And, you know, he's kind of been there for a while. So, um, and he is a pretty solid IQ for, for what it's worth. So I'll toss it off to Dan. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those fights where you, you kind of know what to expect. I mean, um, you know, Silva, to his credit, last fight, um, he, you know, he looked he looked good against a guy that's very tough to to look good against, right? Alex Pajeda, it's, it's very tough to, you know, he was able to go back and forth. He was able to eat eat some shots, you know, got dropped. But, um, you know, I would say he left that fight. You, you know, most people thought he was going to get flatlined there, right? And he was able to survive the three rounds. So kudos to him. And, um, you know, Silva, what I like about this guy, you know, the guy is durable. The guy has, you know, concrete in his hands. Um, we know that he carries that power into the third round, right? Uh, you know, in that fight with Sanchez, he just kept getting taken down and taken down and until Sanchez just had no more gas in the tank, right? Then he just kind of let it rip. Um, I think that, you know, Mearshart seems like this guy's always an underdog in every, every one of his fights. Um, you know, he's well-rounded, um, good grappling. I think... Um, I think it's going to be tough to, to submit Silva here. And, you know, looking by his, by his record, Silva has been submitted a, a, a number of times. Um, I just think that, um, you know, his wrestling is, is what's going to, I think, hinder him a little bit. I don't think he's going to have the kind of success that Sanchez had uh, in taking Silva down. Um, I think the line's about right here. You know, I like Silva by knockout. It's, you know, I'm not trying to overthink this one. Liam, what, the, what are you thinking on this one? Yeah, I mean, uh, bias disclosure up front. Gerald Mearshart's one of my absolute favorite fighters. You know, I, I've cashed so many Gerald Mearshart tickets over the years. And, Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. At the at the casino, live in person, getting deaths there after deaths there as Mahmoud Muradov tickets are, are just lighting on fire in people's pockets. And I'm celebrating my Gerald Mearshart <laughs> inside the distance. Um, now, that being said... This is a tough matchup, right? Because Bruno is somebody I've been high on, and I've I've been cashing tickets on Bruno in the UFC as well. I thought against Andrew Sanchez, I, I basically called that fight to a T. You can go back and find the analysis. I was like, yes, Bruno Silva's going to lose the minutes of this fight, but eventually Andrew Sanchez collapses in the third round every time. He's not finishing Bruno. And, um, you know, this is a little bit different because Gerald's typically the guy who's waiting to catch you in round three, you know, when you start to break. Uh, or he's trying to, you know, surprise guys. He throws nasty kicks to the body. He will stand there and wing, uh, you know, straight punches with somebody who's throwing hooks. And normally he lands them, you know, at a decent rate. The problem is he's there to be hit. And Bruno Silva is not a guy you want to get hit by. So I think logic would dictate Bruno Silva should win the fight. He's going to land heavy shots on Gerald. Uh, Gerald has been knocked out before. Granted, you look at the guys that knocked him out. It was Ian Heinish. Uh, who has some power. It was just a, a good connection by him. Just caught him solid. And then he fought Kamzat like a month later. Like it was just a completely ridiculous turnaround time. Um, so he got starched there too. Probably never should have taken that fight. Um, but I think that as far as I'm concerned, he doesn't have like a God awful chin. He's just easy to hit. And uh, that's a problem against Bruno. Um, but I do think that Bruno's given up advantageous grappling positions in every fight so far in the UFC. And none of those guys are, sniffing the grappling of Gerald. So for me, this is the best guy he's fought in the UFC in terms of long-term proven UFC success. And for that reason, I'm not going to lay the chalk. 
uh, with Bruno at minus three XX this weekend. Um, probably not going to take the shot on Gerald either. If anything, Gerald by sub plus 600. I think fight doesn't go the distance. Um, you know, either way, both these guys, prolific finishers. Do you think, yeah, uh, do you think Gerald, uh, you know, has, a, has an easier time taking down the Sanchez? I, I don't think so. That's why I'm curious. No, Sanchez is like a, a national champion wrestler. Yeah, exactly. What's he going to do with his takedowns? You know, that's, a, that's really like the, the fatal flaw in Andrew Sanchez's game. He spent all his energy wrestling and didn't know how to fight anybody. Uh, yeah. I think that Gerald, he does mix in all his skills. So he'll try and kick you in the body. When you grab a hold of his leg, then he'll try and jump on a guillotine or something. Like He's just more tricky uh, with his grappling entries, I think. Um, and if he takes the back, like Wellington Terman, I, I do expect he could make him pay uh, better than somebody like Wellington. You know, I think that he's had the benefit of like every guy he has uh, survived the grappling exchange. The other guy was way more gassed, and then he just nuked him. I do think that Gerald has a good gas tank. Yeah, and to back up your point there, I mean, you mentioned that Mearshart's going to lose the minutes, right, and then eventually wind up getting you a submission at some point. And it's funny because it's like Silva is the same exact fighter, except he does it with striking, right? He's going to lose all the minutes until he's no longer losing. Then the fight's over in an instant. I mean, like you just mentioned, the Wellington-Terman fight. Terman was on his back for majority of the fight there. He just happened to get a little bit too high on his body lock, slipped off, and then the rest was history there. Once he landed two strikes from the ground, Silva did. That was over. Same thing with Andrew Sanchez. When it got late into that third round, he wound up knocking him out as well. And even Jordan Wright. I mean, Bruno Silva was getting hit there a little bit in the beginning. And then he landed one of his own, and it changed the entire dynamic of that fight. So it's kind of funny to see the dichotomy of these two, yet they're so similar when it comes to fighting styles. But I do agree that, you know, you're better off playing this one to go under two and a half at minus 280 than laying that chalk at minus 285 on uh, Bruno Silva here, just because both guys do have a direct path to victory. And Dan, we spoke about this the other day in our group chat. I was shocked to find out Bruno Silva was a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? I mean, you look at the record, right? I mean, it's 0-5 in the subcategory with five losses by sub. And then you look, he hasn't been submitted in uh, the last five or six years, I think I think last time he got submitted was in 2016. And we were talking, you know, I was doing a deep dive on his Instagram. I was like, what belt is this guy? Like, how did he progress? And I think I saw in like 2018 or something like that. He was a purple belt. And then you can see now that he is a black belt. So he's clearly been working on the jujitsu there. Is it enough, though, to to withstand the, the onslaught of submission attempts that Gerald Mearshart's going to throw? That's the question here, right? It's almost like we're going back to this game that we sort of play every week where we're kind of playing guessing games, which one's going to happen. And at the end of the day, I feel like both have a similar shot of happening. So if that's the case, you're more inclined to take the Gerald Mearshart side. But at the same point, you got to think like his time's done. Like how many plus 250 plus 300 tickets is this guy going to cash in the last two or so years? But, you know, I have, I, I do struggle with getting to Bruno Silva at minus 285. So uh, with that being said, I'm going to revert back to my first point. I think the, the under two and a half at minus 280 is a far better play here in, my, in you know, my thought process. Yeah, yeah. I, know. I think we see under, you know, I think we see um, maybe Silva pull out some, some, some tricks in the, in the grappling bag, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, like, like I was mentioning to you, we were talking about the, you know, the black belt thing. A belt only covers two inches of your ass, man. You got to cover the other 98%. It's uh, it, it, I, I think Silva is uh, you know, he he can grapple. I think you know, defensively, he should be able to I think hold off the onslaught. I think uh, you know, Mearshart Mearshart gets gets on his back early. It'll be another story. 
um, both guys dry. But I think once you know this gets into the later rounds, it's going to be tough to to, to keep hold of them. But um, I, I like that call in the under as well. I actually sprinkled a little bit on uh, on Silva by knockout. Um, but yeah, no, I like I like the under here as well. Yeah, and even the under, just to relate it back to his last fight, Bruno Silva against Alex Pera, that under two and a half was lined at minus 420 in that one. So to get it at minus 280 against someone who, you know, is equally a finisher on the other side and Gerald Mearshart, just a different path to it, I think you're getting a great number there. And much easier to finish in Gerald Mearshart. Yeah, with exactly. due respect. I love the guy, but, you know, sometimes he gets caught on the chin and that's the end of the fight. Exactly. This is one of those ones that could just end whenever, you know, someone decides to, uh, you know, throw that slick submission or punch out. But, you know, no time spent on this fight any further. Let's move on to the next one. It's funny enough, we actually broke this one down a few weeks ago, right? And they rescheduled it to this card here. Priscilla Cachuera versus Ariana Lipsky. Lipsky right now is minus 190 to come back on Cachuera plus 160 here. Emperor G, you, you change your mind at all from the last time we spoke about this fight? Or are you kind of on the same path here? Yeah, no, it's nothing has really changed, man. I mean, both ladies are extraordinarily hittable. You know, I've gone on this whole tangent of the whole queen of violence. I just at three and four in the UFC, I have a tough time giving her that nickname. Uh, you know, Kachera, right? She's absorbing what 7.91 strikes per minute. I mean, that's got to be some of the most in UFC uh history potentially i don't i'd have to go in the in, in the in the research but you know it just seems like both ladies are just going to be there to stand and bang and it's really hard to find a, a lean here I, I just don't i think that if there is a grappling exchange it's probably going to be lipsky um initiating that but you know i just i'm just not high on any of these ladies you know um matt i know you're the women's mma master but you know for me i, I just have a tough time laying laying any type of money on two punching bags and that's just how how it is um both ladies really aren't that technical uh really no defense um i, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a finish here so gonna be i mean it's gonna be a fun fight to watch don't get me wrong you know both ladies aren't gonna come out here to just kind of lallygag you know they're gonna be swinging right off the gate so uh i definitely expect violence in this one but no no reason to force anything in this spot it's a tough spot it's a tough spot i mean it's um you, you know lipsky she's kind of been a, a bit of a roller coaster um you know queen of violence eh whatever you know Cachuera, she had the probably the hardest first fight in the ufc that you could you could think of you know she just got dismantled by shevchenko and then she's you know credit to her she's kind of rallied she's had some good wins um you know that win against gina mazzani was pretty damn impressive i gotta say you know she came back uh finished it in the last 10 seconds um, you know, she was, you know, she was getting out grappled for the majority of that fight. And that's really where I guess the worry I have for this one is, um, you know, I think if Lipsky can get it to the ground, um, you know, there's, there's a clear advantage there, but, you know, Lipsky isn't, it, you know, isn't the most physical. I definitely, I definitely put the, the physicality on the, uh, on the Cachuera side here. Um, you know, both girls have gotten finished. Um, I don't really have a strong lean, you know, I mean, I, I'll probably, for me, it's dog or pass. I'll probably take Cachuera. Um, but you know, it, it'll be a very small play. I mean, I'm just not, I don't see how you, how you lay minus one nine down Lipsky here. Yeah. Liam, what do you think about this one? I mean, this isn't a very inspiring offering from the UFC, especially on the main card here. I think it was supposed to be on the prelims last week, but either way, you know, they were kind of a little bit strapped uh, for fights for UFC San Diego. So they're like, yeah, let's uh, let's move this one a week back. And frankly, these are the fights I hate betting on. Um, reason being, Bookmaker just got all the information in the world, right? Where are you going to bet? What time? How much? And now they get to re-give you the lines, right? So 
I do think it's interesting that you're seeing, um, you know, like a, what, what, maybe 20, 30, 40 cent move towards the Lipsky side. What does that tell you? It tells me that she's probably the side and they don't want you to play her. So they want you to play Cachoeira. They want to give you a better number, uh, you know, entice you to come back on the underdog here. But truthfully, Lipsky's five years younger. All the stats uh, I'm talking about from striking metrics to grappling metrics say she should win this fight. That's the truth. You know, Cachoeira is not very good at fighting. But what she is good at is being tough and coming forward and throwing, you know, shots. So I, I had described it on my show as if it comes down to who's tougher and who wants it better, you know, maybe Cashewara gets the job done. But if it in any way comes down to who's better at fighting, I think Lipsky is going to be clearly better at fighting. Um, so for me, uh, Ariane Lipsky is the pick, but not inspired to bet on her. Yeah, and we see this happen time and time again, like you mentioned, with the fight getting rescheduled. These bookmakers gather all this data. The one that really comes to mind is that Piotr Jan versus Sterling rematch, right? We just saw all that action came in on Jan, and it wound up blowing the lineup so big to a point where you had to take the Sterling side if you were going to bet that fight at all. But Those New York boys had to teach them how to wrestle, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Uh, just, just a little bit of a, of a warning there, you know. Everybody tells you about the Russians, but they don't tell you that New York boys know how to wrestle too absolutely that was hey for new york that's a great champion to have right now he actually got booed a little bit at ufc long island when they showed him when i was there i was a little bit upset by that i cheered him on though so that's all that matters but um you know it, it's a tough one to get to here right because i mentioned this last time he broke this down that lipsky showed a little bit of maturity here last time out right she was willing to initiate the grappling willing to take this fight to uh, her opponent's weaknesses right and just pretty much dominate in a realm of the fight there and you know if she decides to take that path here, I don't see a way that Cachuera can necessarily get this win off because we see that hole in her game on the mats. It's just so wide, and she hasn't seemed to close it at 33 years old. You know, it, it's a hard, you know, gap to close to, to not, you know, come up with anything better to say there. But I just think that she has that death touch, especially for women's flyweight, right? She could touch you at any point and put you out. Lipsky has shown that she will stand and bang. She gets a little bit reckless in her exchanges because she wants to land some of her own. So it's one of those scenarios where I think if one of them land early and they get mad at each other, they could wind up standing and banging and Cachuera could eventually land that blow. But as a Cachuera backer, you're getting her at like plus 160 and you're landing on that one sole path to victory being a good punch that lands. It's not wide enough for my liking. And you mentioned, Kev, you know, I, I typically like to hone in on these women MMA fights. I mean, last week, Maria Bueno Silva, that was just the easiest dog money of the night, even though they made a sweat for it a little bit there with the tap or no tap. But, you know, it, this is a tough spot. I initially like the under in this one, right, at plus 140 at two and a half. But the more I think about it, you know, if Lipsky is the side, it's more likely going to be a lay and pray type of approach where she's going to, you know, just gather minutes, get points on her side and, and just take this one to the judges. So I'm leaning off that one. I don't necessarily have a play in this one. I don't like laying that minus 195 on Lipsky, just being the catch where it could catch you. But at the same rate, that over-under is tricky as well. So this is just one I'm definitely staying away from. Yeah, and, and I mentioned this uh, last week when we were breaking this down. You know, of course, when she when, when Kachera fought uh, Gian Kim, mind you, one of the bigger robberies of the year, uh, you know, Kachera absorbed, you know, 170 significant strikes, and we all saw what her face looked like uh, after that fight. And, you know, to some, I feel like, oh, my God, five and a half months is so long ago. But in reality, when you take that sort of damage and get that smashed up looking like a – a tomato can. I, I mean, I think it's going to play dividends in this fight. Like I really do. I think in this first round, you know, if Lipsky's finding her spots, we're going to see Kachera going into the second, you know, with a face that's already compromised. 
Um, so just I think just something to keep in mind, you know, for those, you know, looking to approach this fight is um, is that scar tissue is, is going to be there. It's not a long layoff of just five and a half months. And like you said, Matt, being at 33 years old, I think she's at that age where, uh, you know, of course, that scar tissue is continuing to build. So uh, just a big, big, big fade all around, but no doubt should be action packed here. Hey, they don't call her the zombie girl for nothing, though, Kev. You know, maybe a little Darren Elkins type. The fight doesn't start until she starts bleeding. But, um, you know, I think that's enough on that fight there. I mean, none of us really have a conviction in it. So we might as well move on to this next one. Uh, a line I was a little bit, you know, surprised to see here. You got Azamat Mirzakhanov at minus 155. The comeback on Devin Clark currently sitting at plus 130. Devin Clark, his last fight took place up at heavyweight against William Knight. Moving back down a light heavyweight here. Against Mirzakhanov, who you know is pretty small for this weight class, I think. I think he mentioned it during his uh, his media day interview that he just, you know, he wants to be more active. That's why he doesn't fight down at middleweight. So, you know, it, it's an interesting uh, matchup here because personally, I'm not too high on Devin Clark. I mean, I don't necessarily think he does anything great. I know he got a big knockout win his last time out, but you know, you got to look at the level of competition, the weight class as well. William Knight is who he knocked out at heavyweight. A weight class that neither really has fought an off. I think William Knight is staying there now. But, you know, look at Devin Clark the rest of his fights. I mean, Anthony Smith, I think, knocked his teeth out, if that's the correct fight I'm thinking of, right? And he wound up getting submitted there. And um, I, I just don't see what he does in the striking department. I think he's easy to hit. He's pretty slow, I think, especially for 205. I think he looked a little bit quicker up at uh, heavyweight there. But... I just I struggle with seeing how he necessarily gets a victory in this part. I mean, yeah, he could get takedowns, right? But he does he doesn't necessarily do much with those takedowns, I don't think. And Mirza Khanov actually has sneaky grappling. I mean, looking at some of his regional tape, you know, he actually went and initiated the grappling exchanges, tried showing off some of his moves there. I think he has a win by uh um neck crank or something like that. I know his his favorite move he said is the uh Kimura too. But I just think Mirzakhanov, you know, his last time out wasn't the Mirzakhanov we're going to see this time out. I think that, um, you know, going against a southpaw there in that spot kind of threw him for a loop because he's a southpaw there in his own right. And he just seemed, you could tell that he was hesitant to get in. He was respecting the power of his opponent. And I don't think he necessarily has that issue here. I mean, Clark is an orthodox fighter. As I mentioned, he's slow and he's easy to hit. And Mirzakhanov is very, very explosive. If he can get his shots off and hits you with it, he hits very clean. So... You know, I, I think he does a good job of staying light, too. A lot of people are going to knock on his uh, his durability and his gas tank just from what they saw in his last time out. But you have to remember, that's the guy's UFC debut. He was going against a pretty decent fighter. They're a strong fighter who is dangerous in his own right. And, you know, at minus 155, I actually I, I like this line here. I thought it was going to be a little bit wider just because of the fade on Devin Clark. But I guess that knockout win is holding some weight for some people. But if you guys are with me or disagree, feel free to uh, to jump in and let me know. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Um, I'm, uh, you know, I have a tough time betting on fighters that um, I kind of identify a, a, a bit of a mental lapse, and 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 Devin Clark kind of fits that mold. You know, you 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 kind of don't really know what you get with this guy until you see him fight. Sometimes he comes in, and you know, you you see kind of glimpses of, of greatness, right? I mean, the guy the guy has great wrestling. Um, you know, his, you know, he likes to sort of bull bull rush you with his striking into the clinch and. Um, credit to him. I mean, the guy has some slick transitions, um, you know, to get the takedown. We, we've seen him, you know, out grapple guys. And we've also seen him kind of get caught in like weird rear naked chokes from Jan Lahovitz. You know what I mean? I mean, it's one, it's one of those things where, um, you know, he's looking really good until, you know, he messes up. And, and again, I, maybe that's like a mental thing for him. But, um, 
you know, for me, when I'm trying to handicap fights, um, I'm looking for any edge. And, and fighting is such a mental sport that um, when you come across a guy that, you know, you, you kind of don't know what you're going to get until until the, the cage door shuts. It's tough for me to, to, to lay money on him, even even at, uh, at a dog price. And, um, you know, what I saw in Merzikhanov in his last fight, you know, he was able to rally in the third round and get that get that very impressive knockout. Um you know, his opponent, uh, you know, up until then had been a, a you know, pretty durable guy. Um, I know he just got knocked out in his last fight as well. But, um, you know, I, I, you know, we can kind of credit some of that maybe to, to some UFC uh, debut jitters, right? I mean, it's not sort of out of the realm of possibility. But 11-0, um, you know, the guy is great striking. Um, he can grapple. I'm very curious to see how he stands up to Clark's grappling because, um, you, you know, you can best believe that that is – you know, his path to victory. Um, but yeah, I, I lean uh, Merzikhanov here. And um, truth be told, I mean, I, I kind of think we see another Devin Clark choke show, right? I think he kind of puts himself in a bad spot. And, you know, Merzikhanov is a killer, man. I feel like he, when he smells blood, he will get in there and finish the job. Yeah, and he seems to always get his head wrapped up in every fight, right? Devin Clark, he'll sink himself into chokes almost willingly. Yeah. You, you said it really good, Matt. Like Devin Clark, he's he, he's not great anywhere. Uh, I, I don't. I mean, yeah, he's got you know there's a few knockouts on his record, but I don't think that he really has that significant power the way he sets things up. You know, he he sports a 53% takedown defense. So if Merzikhanov, you know, thought that he didn't want to stand and bang, I think that if he wanted to, I think he could take this to the mat. Um, I guess I'm just, you know, I understand you know Merzikhanov, you know, had the UFC debut, had the jitters, uh, but. You know, the, the body language you saw in that second, just in that second round, uh, obviously knocked this guy out in the third, but I don't think that this guy is is a cardio machine. I think that it's going to be, feels like it's going to be an early finish or bust for me. Uh, like the Merzikana of round one, round two, I think is is, is certainly live. Um, but, you know, Devin Clark, man, you know, seven and six in the UFC, he's had his ups and downs. Like you said, Dan, he, he tends to, you know, not have that IQ on point when he feels like he's getting pieced up. And, you know, it's it's really hard to back a guy in Devin Clark. You just don't know what you're going to get out of the man. Um, you know, on the Merzikhanov side, you know, of course he's at 11-0. He trains at this camp at, at, in New Jersey, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm not I'm not too sure how far you are from Fairfield, New Jersey, Matt. But um, I was looking at, like, the, the fighters there. It's like a, a Russian-dominant gym. I was, like, very intrigued. Like, are they discriminating against any other people other than Russians coming in wanting to fight? I don't know. Just just really strange layout there. I was really uh, intrigued by that. But, you know, I don't think Merzikhanov is is a striker that, you know, sets things up to the T. You know, he, he I don't think that he has the the greatest of technical ability. Um, but what he does have is, is that power and that, and that one knockout punch. Um, and, and I, I'm with you guys. I think he's most likely going to knock out Clark here. I think if I'm taking the Merzikhanov side, I'd feel more comfortable taking that prop. But um, the money line, you know, it's. Uh, but I'm kind of with you, Matt. Like I feel like the line should be around like the minus 180 range, the minus 200, just given the inconsistencies we've seen on the Ben Clark side. But um, you know, this is uh, just one of those spots where maybe Merzikhanov shows you know more wrinkles to his game. Maybe he just seems more composed than his last time out. You know, given that he, you know, already had that first fight in the UFC. But, um, you know, I, I don't, again, I don't think his striking is is all that impressive. Um, the volume isn't necessarily there, but the power is. And sometimes that the power is really all you need in these types of spots. Uh, Liam, do you have any, any any edge on this side? Are you kind of with us here at the Merzikano side? Any lean on the underdog? No, I've, I've backed uh, Azmat Merzikano off his last two fights. 
Um, and I feel like this is another winnable fight for him. Um, this one's probably a little bit trickier because Devin Clark's at least going to try and mix it up, wrestle with him a little bit. I don't think that Tafan was um, very committed to like a wrestling heavy game plan there. But I do think that, you know, Tafan brings a lot of physical gifts, a lot of, uh, you know, difficult challenges in his own right. Olberg starched him with the one punch uh, left hook. You have to uh, consider maybe maybe our boy uh, Azmat had something to do with that, um, compromising the chin, the durability a little bit. Also came back pretty quick from that. So I think that that's a factor. But, yeah, I just look at this guy and he's got plus level skills in a couple of different positions. You know, you look regionally, he took down Gudo in a cinch, wrestled him to a decision, uh, former UFC fighter, big guy as well. Um, so he's kind of shown me that he could take guys who are bigger than him and take them down. I think he could probably take down Devin Clark. I think Devin Clark could take him down. I, I struggle to see him holding him down for extended periods. I think Asmat could work back to his feet. Um, and honestly, in a lot of Devin Clark fights, he struggles to take guys down. Like he'll push him into the cage. He'll level change on him 50 times, but he really doesn't get that many takedowns anyway. And I think that at space, he's a much less comfortable fighter than Asmat Mirzakhanov. And I think that Mirzakhanov is going to be able to uh, like measure him with shots. I think he's going to be able to land uh, strikes in the feed. And I would not be surprised if we see him time a Devin Clark entry with one of those jump knees. He's pretty good at that. Um, so yeah, I just think Azmat is too much for him. I think he's a better fighter. And I think that there will be a time to fade Azmat in the future. You know, he's an older prospect for the division, 33 years of age, uh, as the graphic shown there. But I do think that right now um, his skills are better than Devin Clark's. So I think he's going to win the fight. If there's yeah, one I mean, thing about Azmat, the man is built like a freaking tank. I mean, you could even make an argument this man. He's built like a refrigerator. Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. just an awkward, like, how do you get a hold of the guy, you know? Right, right, right. He definitely wrestled bears as a kid. That's for sure. Light heavyweight Benil Dariush. You know, he's just got a huge back. <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy because he's been at a reach disadvantage in most all of his fights. And that doesn't change here, right? But um, he just seems to find a way. And I think it's credit to his explosiveness. I mean, you just see some of the combos he throws. The way that he just explodes into those punches is just, you know, really fascinating, especially for someone that's smaller for the division. Um, if something's giving me a little bit of hesitancy on the Merzikhanov side, it is that, you know, as I mentioned before, Clark did fight a heavyweight his last time out. Merzikhanov really could cut down a middleweight. So in those wrestling exchanges, there's a chance that Clark could just, you know, outman him a little bit. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. But, um, you know, Merzikhanov, too, he has a sick uppercut. I don't know if you guys saw that fight in the regional scene where he landed that one against the fence and just put the guy out there. So we've seen the flying knee. We've seen the uppercut. I mean, two tools to defend those takedown attempts from uh, Devin Clark there. That's all you really need to see here. I'm on Merzikhanov. I agree with you, Kev. If you want to take a shot at him, knock out in the first round plus 300, why not? Wow. Plus 300. Okay. Uh, I, I guess that line is kind of, kind of there. I've, I, I honestly would have, would have probably put a line of like 350 to four, but I think that's still good value. I mean, you know, the majority of Mirza kind of uh, fights are ending in the first round, whether it's on the regional scene or not. So, um, and again, Devin Clark, man, just not a guy that I'm, I'm willing to back. The IQ just isn't really there for me, but um, you know, should be a fun one. I, I have this weird feeling that if, if Asma wanted to, like just given his stature, I feel like he could potentially make middleweight. Um, but That's I guess what I'm saying he really could, but he mentioned he wants to be active. So it's easier for him not to make that big of a cut and just fight at light heavyweight. Right. Yeah. yeah no. 33. That's, that's tough. You know, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
it would take a lot of commitment, but like you just see the stature, like there's so much fat percentage there for, for a light heavyweight at, at that height, obviously going to be at a four inch reach a disadvantage here, but uh, yeah, I, I'm with you guys. Let's roll. Let's go. Osmot KO. Let's rock. And I agree with Liam. Osmot wins this one decisively next fight. We might have a beautiful fade opportunity there. So I'm going to keep my eye out on that and uh, you know, ready to move on to this next fight, boys wish me luck with these names because it's a little bit of a struggle. We got Yasmin, Jarugui, I think I got that right. I mean, she's Mexican, so I don't think it's pronounced, you know, like that against Jasmine Lucindo. And, uh, you know, interesting fight for the main card here. I mean, they're both making their UFC debut, 23 years old and 20 years old. I think part of it has to do with uh, Jarugi being from Tijuana. You know, the fight's taking place in San Diego. They wanted to get a fighter from the area on the uh, the main card here. And not for nothing, I was watching some of her tapes. She's pretty exciting. And you could, you could tell by her fighting style that she fights at a Tijuana, too. I don't know if you guys picked up on that, too. She's got that Mexican boxing. She's in and she's out. She's pretty quick, too. But, you know, not much film. I mean, she's shown to have decent takedown defense on a few of her fights. And, you know, judging off what I've been able to find on Lucindo, that's her whole game plan. She's trying to take you down, trying to get into the mount and just land blows from up top. So it'll be interesting if these, if these officials are similar to the Austin officials, right, where they're standing up the fighters after about 30 seconds on the mat. And uh, if that's the case, you really have to like the favorite in this spot. Uh, I think that Jarugi's going off at like minus 200, if I'm not mistaken here, which, you know, definitely a big line for someone making their UFC debut against someone who is also, you know, a relatively unknown Cindo. The comeback is plus 170. It's just uh, an interesting one to bet because I haven't seen uh, Jarugi on her back per se. So I don't necessarily know how she's going to deal with that. I'm sure Lucindo is probably going to get a takedown or two in this fight, just judging off how persistent she is in getting those. And on the other side, it's hard to get film on Lucindo's striking and her striking defense. So I really don't know what openings are going to find themselves. But, you know, both girls like to finish. And uh, the over-under here, under 2.5 is at plus 155. The over minus 190. Uh, you got to kind of like that over there. I mean, both these women, as I mentioned, on the regional scene, they're getting finishes. But in the main card, both UFC debut, maybe some jitters on both sides. Minus 190 is a pretty decent line to get here on a women's strawweight fight on the over. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much of a take on this one, truth be told. I was, I was focusing my time on some of the other the other spots that I liked on this card. Um, but it's interesting that this is on the main card, and you know, we've got two two fighters making their debut. Um, but yeah, I, I think the the hometown crowd um, for Jerry is definitely going to play a factor here. I think she has the grappling upside. Uh, big, fa big fade spot for me. I'm not going to be touching this fight. Um, but I don't know if either of you guys have a, have a better take. I, truth be told, besides for like the grappling upside, I didn't really see much in either in either fighter so yeah for me it's probably a pass man if, if there's one thing about lucindo could we do a double check on her birth certificate 20 years old <laughs> yeah right it doesn't look it it looks a little it looks a little fishy to me um you know just especially just looking at that graphic but yeah no uh i mean look both both ladies are super young making their debut um again not not a lot not not a lot of tape there to to get a good read on this fight um you know it's one of those things where Lucindo seems like she has more tools, right? She's, she's looking to take this to the mat. You know, she wants to grapple uh, and pound you out. Um, and like, for that reason, I feel like it's a dog or pass situation at these lines. Like, you know, both ladies are, are bona fide finishers. I mean, Jorangui, uh, did I get that? Jorangui? Good luck. <laughs> Close enough. It doesn't sound Latina. So it's, it's, it's strange. Maybe she derives from another part of the world, but you know, eight, no, you know, six knockouts, which is pretty, pretty nutty for 
small ladies in this division. I mean, there's no doubt that this 23 year old has some, some power in her fists, you know, whether they're over tomato cans or not. I mean, it's just, it's just something you don't see very often, right? A, a woman in this division, you know, 75% of her finishes by knockout, but then only like the Lucino side, shoot, you can't, you know, she's, she's still putting people out as well and has that submission game as well. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things, man, you know, making the UFC debut. Um, I, I don't hate the over two and a half. Um, but, you know, just given that Lucindo is able to rack up the control time and has that potential, I do lean Lucindo. Um, just a little but She doesn't do much with it. Right. And the people she's taken down, I mean, if you're looking at their records and you just watch the way they fight, you know, it's just such low-level competition. It's hard to see that translating to the UFC here. And, you know, with, with what we've seen from these fights going to the mats, how quickly they stand them up, especially – in the, in these places like San Diego where they don't host many fights, it it's just a tricky spot, you know. It's very tricky. Liam, any any leans here? Or did you find any uh, any tape out the woodworks? Uh, or you, you find a lean, or what are we thinking? Yeah, so this isn't a fight that I plan on on making a heavy investment in. Certainly, uh, I do side with the favorite here after doing my research a little bit. Um, Lucindo seems like somebody that could win UFC fights. She's just very young. Uh, and she's probably a lot less physically mature than her opponent. You know, her opponent's got like an eight pack. I'm not even going to try with the names guys. I'm, I'm good at, at some names from around the world. This, this is one, uh, I'm going to go with Yasmin and Lucindo, right? And Lucindo they both have the same, is the, is the have distinguishing the same name. name, right? So it's, it's what, you can't even, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like one letter off or something. So, uh, for me, I think that, you know, I, I was interested in first, uh, at the Lucindo side because, you know, it was a plus EV bet. You know, some of the sharper markets were getting hit on the Lucindo side. So I was like, oh, let me investigate this a little bit. But I didn't I didn't love what I saw in the sense that, you know, a lot of her fights were her getting on top of somebody, physically dominating them with the takedowns. I kind of struggled to see her doing that here. She's fighting a purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu who looks to be a little bit physically stronger than her. Uh, they're going to have similar frames. So for me, uh, it's probably the favorite is more likely to win. But do I know if I'm getting an edge? No, there's a little bit too many unknowns. Uh, an angle that I have historically um, tried to, to keep in mind is like a fighter who's younger with more experience. I like to try and back those people more often than not. But when you have a 20-year-old and a 23-year-old, it's almost like too soon for that to matter, in my opinion. But she has not lost since she was 18 years of age. You know, her, most of her losses were when she was 17 and before. So I do think that, you know, I'm going to give her that pass on those losses she does have a win over a ufc fighter a former ufc fighter and sarah frota so uh she does seem like she's got skills out the box but the question is you know is she physically ready for a fight in the ufc uh and the pressure you know to go from a regional scene to a fight on a ufc main card you know featured bout third fight from the top for me they're probably you know setting up somebody who's uh a little bit older a little bit more mature a little bit more ready for that uh, you know, shining moment. So I think uh, the favorite's going to win, but Lucindo's probably going to make it a scrap. I wouldn't be surprised if she got a takedown or two early, but can she keep it up? This is her first time at 115, uh, cut, cutting down from 125, 121 uh, for her former fight. So I think that's a question as well. Does the durability in the gas tank hold up? Because her opponent throws hands, she throws with heat, and I think she's the more comfortable fighter on the feet. So Lucindo's going to need to get this to the ground if she wants to win the fight. Uh, and it's not going to be easy because she's got somebody who outranks her um, but you know, a purple belt from Mexico might not have the same level of jujitsu as a blue belt from Brazil. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not sure, uh, right. but I think it should be a great fight. 
I agree. And also, you know what? I'm looking at this fight to go the distance minus 165. I'm probably going to end up taking a stab on that, definitely. Like that. But, um, all right, we'll move on to this next one. This is a co-main event, right? I mean, this is a fight that just got booked not too long ago. Nate Landwehr versus David Onama. Onama just coming off a quick turnaround here, right? Going against Armfield's last time out, getting the second round submission victory. The guy's 10-1, and all 10 wins by finish. And Nate Landwehr, Nate the Train, is coming into this one, right? Coming off a huge submission win of his own right against Ludovic Klein, who we just saw a few weeks ago put it on Mason Jones in London. So, you know, it, it's a good win in hindsight, right? I mean, that one stacks up very well. I I uh, do think Onama has some advantages here wherever the fight goes, but I'm going to let one of you guys kick us off here. Uh, Dan, why don't you lead us off on this one? Yeah, man. Um, you know, as soon as I saw this fight, it kind of caught my eye on the card. Um, it, you know, I'm a big fan of Onama. I think, uh, you, you know, he had a tough first fight in the UFC against Mason Jones where he was he heavy, heavy underdog, and he made it a very, very competitive fight. Um, and I think, uh, you know, now we're starting to see kind of who he really is. His last couple of fights, he's really starting to show out. Um, I think the guy still has a lot of growing to do, um, but, man, he just has all the physical gifts possible. And it's like if you hear James Krause kind of talk about him, um, he said something actually really interesting um, that, you know, he feels sometimes that Onama kind of plays down to his competition. And I actually – I actually – kind of like that take and I, I, I can actually see you know see I, you know I, I see what he means by that Onama is just that kind of guy that um you know he'll strike with you he'll grab with you but I think just um where he's gonna kind of turn the corner is understanding you know maybe I don't want to take a couple punches to the face before I initiate the grappling like he did last uh, last fight right we saw that um you know his opponent was giving him uh you know a bit of trouble on the feet and it's almost like as soon as you decide to oh I can take this guy down it's like well why don't you just do that from the beginning um, I think this fight screams, you know, fight of the night. Um, you know, Nate, uh, Nate Landwehr, tough guy, very animated. Um, you know, you always, I always get a kick out of hearing this guy on the mic, man. You never know what he's going to say, but you kind of hope he wins so he can get on the mic, right? Oh man. Oh man. I'm telling you, but, um, listen, um, you know, one thing for sure is that we, you know, he's, uh, he seems to be like a, you know, killer be killed guy and, um, fights like that, you know, I, I, I love because, um, you kind of know what to expect, right? I mean, he's, uh, you know, all his losses have, have been by finish in the UFC. Um, and with respect to the, the fight with Darren Elkins, but, you know, again, Elkins is so durable that I kind of chalk that up to, to, to that, you know, so I'm not I'm not putting too much, uh, you know, too much of my bread in, in sort of that basket. But um, Onama, man, I, uh, I love inside the distance here. That was like my first play on, on the card. Um, pretty sure we're all on that from a Kingsburg's perspective but um i you know i think onama wins this wherever he wants wherever the fight goes um but i do my one worry is that you know like i said he kind of plays down to nate landor a little bit um landor is going to be talking to him he's going to be getting in his face and so as long as he can stay measured and kind of keep keep focused i think uh this is onama's fight to lose i mean i'm eager to hear liam's thoughts then i'll tell off of him yeah, this is a fight for me that uh, I kind of looked at as a pass um, from a betting perspective on the top line, um, just because the line has has blown out a little bit. Uh, you know, David Onama's last fight uh, closed as, I think, like a minus 175 favorite or so. Um, or actually, no, not the Armfield fight, excuse me, the uh, Benitez fight. He closed like a minus 175 favorite or something. And this is, uh, you know, 
a tricky fight with Nate Landwehr, right? Nate can be finished, but when he's not finished, he tends to make fights pretty competitive. You know, I thought he showed probably his best form to date in the Ludovic Klein fight. Um, so I want to give him that credit. Uh, and Ludovic has actually looked good since, right? He, uh, you know, he's, he's done well. So my question is, how does David Onama handle, um, you know, the fight if he doesn't get the finish early? Because I think he's probably uh, going to be very live for that early finish. Nate tends to get in the pocket and throw down a little bit. I think that Onama should have a little bit more power than he does, a little bit better recoverability. But the problem I have with the big price on Onama is I have seen him get like a little bit wobbled. I thought Gabriel Benitez had him on the ropes. I, I had a, a pretty right? decent pretty decent position on Gabriel Benitez uh, plus 150. And I thought, I thought he had him on the ropes there. So, um, you know, Onama's got a good chin and good recoverability, but he's there to be hit. You know, he hangs his chin in the air and Nate Landwer, if you don't put him away, he's a dog and he will keep throwing all fight and keep uh, swinging and coming forward. So I think that uh, that's an open question at least, but I'm, I'm break even on David Onama fight. Shout out my man, just win baby last time out. Uh, you know, he pointed me in the direction of that Onama by subline against Armfield. And I thought that that was a great price at plus 500, um, you know, on a big favorite there guy. Uh, everybody was, you know, hyped up on the, the KO again with Landwer. Landwer people are probably going to be betting that KO pretty heavily, but the inside the distance I think is a safer play. If you're going to try and back the Onama side, cause he just showed off, he has some submission chops. He's willing to go to them. Um, and, you know, against somebody like Nate, he's dog tough. You know, what if he gets hurt real bad and tries to work his way back up to his feet? He locks on that rear naked choke. Are you going to feel good about the fact that you got like 75 cents better, uh, you know, plus money on the KO as opposed to the inside the distance? You know, I just think that that's that's the kind of thing where, uh, you know, you'd be slapping yourself after the fact if it goes the other way. So uh, just ITD, I would prefer to KO um, if you were to play the Onama side, but I'm probably just going to pass on the co-main event. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing that if these guys go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, I just think that Onama is going to steamroll. Um, just like the striking, obviously has that Ugandan-African power that we've seen time and time again. It's it's just something to behold. Uh, and, and again, you know, and you guys have all said a lot of great things, but of course, training with James Krause there, uh, we're, we're all obviously very bullish on what he does with his fighters and, and how he um, coaches them, you know, mid-fight. Um, you know, it's like, it's weird because like earlier in the week, I was like, yep, Onama's just going to put this guy out. He's just going to put him out. And then, like, when I really dug into Nate's tape, it seems like he's it seems like he's evolved since that first UFC fight. Of course, he had quite a bit of experience on the Russian circuit. So, you know, he's no he's not fighting no slouches, although this is only his fifth UFC fight. I still think that he has a good bit of experience under his belt. Um, and, you know, like, those brawler-type savage guys, like, it's really hard to – confidently bet on the opponent inside the distance like i don't get me wrong I, I could envision an onama you know early finish here in the first round but you know landover i don't think is going to be very easy to put away you know um obviously he has been knocked out before um i mean you know with, with the burns fight you know i think if anyone eats that knee to the chin they're going out cold but you know i i don't think that's a good depiction of his chin i think landover is is very tough he's very durable um but Again, on the Onama side, man, he, he's just so powerful. Uh, you know, he's continuing to evolve. You know, for what it's worth, you know, Landwer has is on a 10-month layoff. You know, since then, Onama has fought. Uh, this will be his fourth UFC fight over the last 11 months. So he has been busier. And my gut tells me that's going to play dividends in this fight. I just think that he's just uh, he, he's just born ready for this one. And, uh, 
you know, it's weird because Onama has this very like nonchalant style. Like there's a reason he's the silent assassin. I don't think that he's this exorbitant, you know, outgoing, loud type of dude. You know, he just goes in there and means business. And uh, I think that's what we're going to see um, uh, on Saturday evening. I think Onama is going to find a way to put this man out. Uh, I have no doubt that he's working the conditioning, working the cardio there at Glory MMA. So um, if it does go to the third round, I still think that Onama is going to be in there in there like swimwear, you know, um, obviously in his 10 professional fights all inside the distance. So the dude's just uh, natural at that 145, mind you, when he fought uh, Mason Jones, I believe that was up a weight class. So, um, you know, since then he's on, you know, the, the two and a two and a run here. So just a way for him to build here and should get a top 15 guy if he, if he dominates here. Um, Matt and Matt, any thoughts on, uh, I think I kind of know where you feel with this one, but curious if you had any change of thoughts. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think we're like, one to two fights away from fading David Onama, right? I mean, we kind of see it lately. I mean, I keep lumping these guys together, but Fialo and Curtis, you know, they get into the UFC. They get two good wins, right? They stay hot. They stay taking fights. I mean, this is Onama's, what, third fight in the last four months or so? I I, I believe Gabriel Benitez, I think, was in February. The last one was in July. And, uh, you know, this guy's staying busy, staying active. He's going to rack up the finishes. And I might sound a little crazy here, especially, you know, by Nate's uh, what he's known to do. I think that Onama actually has to make this one kind of a brawl, get Nate out of his comfort zone, let him reach, make mistakes, overreact to things. And that's when you're going to catch him. I think that his last fight against Ludovic Klein, I think that style lended itself in favor of Nate Landwehr because he was actually able to fight composed and, you know, actually be a professional fighter. It looked like in that one, other than a brawler. So I think that if Onama could, you know, frustrate Nate a little bit, get him to overextend on his punches and, you know, try to brawl out, I really think that he could catch him with something. I think that he could take it to the mats too, as you guys mentioned. But, you know, if you guys remember that Herbert Burns fight, I think it was a Darce choke that Herbert Burns had locked in for like two or three minutes. And yeah. Nate was just, you know, laying there chilling, keeping his composure. So he's not an easy guy to submit. I think at minus 135, you're getting a pretty decent price on Onama inside the distance. You know, just going off the fact that all 10 of his wins have been inside the distance. Um, I do wish we got this one in at minus 195 money line where it was sitting last week. After sharp money brought the line down from 300 down to 195, I think that was just a play for them to add back at a better price on Onama. So, you know, you're looking at around like the minus 290 point. I wouldn't be surprised if this line gets over minus 300 by the time we see the fight take off. So, you know, I, I just don't see where Nate could really put Onama in danger. I think Mason Jones, obviously, that that situation was the worst situation we'll see Onama in. I don't think that Nate's going to be able to put him in similar spots here, but. You know, Onama, there, there's something to be said, what Liam brought up, that, you know, he, he does get hit a little bit, or maybe it was Dan brought up, he, he gets hit a little bit, and, you know, he's slow to start until, you know, that opens up. The Gabriel Benitez fight, I think, is a good example, because his eye was basically swollen shut by that point. Benitez landed some real damage on him, but Onama, he persevered, he pushed through, and he landed those combos that absolutely just put Benitez to the mat. And funny enough, Benitez on the undercard of this one, you know, his son's taking place early, getting the fight started off, so... It's going to be interesting. I think that Onama stays rolling, though. I wouldn't be surprised to see another knockout. I know you mentioned Landwehr is kind of durable. He's eaten two flying knee knockouts, both in the UFC. Um, I doubt we see a flying knee here, but, you know, the hands of Onama basically have the same power. So not not definitely counting that one out at all. Hey, side note, just since we got, we're talking about Benitez, um, Charlie Ontivera season, baby. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> let's go that, that round one prop is definitely live i'll tell you that much 
No, but um, yeah, I mean, we'll move on to the next five. Just last thing on, on Onama. I mean, I think um, it, it seems like the UFC really likes this guy. Um, seems like they really want to really want to build him up. Um, I think he's got all the tools. I think uh, you know, a couple more wins, and you know, we'll start to see him again. Some 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 stiffer competition. And then we'll really see kind of you know what he's made of. But he has a super simple game. You know, nothing too flashy. The guy is just a you know a physical freak, right? Kind of like uh, his arms, like kind of go down to his feet. Like, uh, <laughs> and he he doesn't really try to knock you out with all his punches, right? He's content landing, and I yeah, think he stays that's within himself. Leads to success, you know. He stays within himself, and I, I like that. It shows maturity, and um, I think that's only going to improve as he as he gets more and more comfortable in the octagon. And uh, Nate, I didn't realize he's on a 10-month layoff. He hasn't fought since October of last year. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, the contrast between someone who's been off for almost a year and someone who's, you know, in their third fight of this year alone. So definitely favor the activity. Kev, some of your favorite metrics. Onama's the younger guy by about five years. He's got the reach advantage. He has the height advantage. So, you know, this has your name written all over it here. He's got the activity as well. So, you know, Onama, definitely the side for me, I believe, I could speak for everyone here that we think that he gets the job done. Um, if he does get finished, you know, I don't think any of us will be completely surprised, though, right? I mean, he's still very young. He, he has a lot of learning to do. But, um, you know, I think we covered every every base there. Before we hop into this main event between Dominic Cruz and Chito Vera, shout out to KOD Media, all the shows they've been running, producing this one especially. So check out their stuff real quick, and we'll be right back. We're back here to discuss this main event between Dominic Cruz versus Chito Vera. This is a fight that, you know, we've been looking forward to a few contrasting opinions here. Um, just to get the betting lines out of the way, Chito Vera opened up around minus 190, right? He's currently steamed up to minus 230. Comeback on Dom Cruz plus 195. Over-under set at over four and a half rounds. The over is minus 175. The under is plus 140. Um, I think, you know, Common opinion is that Vera gets this one done by knockout or decision. And uh, the Dominic Cruz side, if, if you think he's going to win, it's most likely going to be by decision here. 
Um, I'm going to kick this one off to my boy Kev because he posted earlier in this week that I think he has a five-unit play on Chito Vera, and I think he locked it in at the early odds of minus 190 as well. Yeah, so locked it in at minus 195. Um, look, for the record, I have so much respect for Dominic Cruz, man. I mean, come on. Like, he's the first UFC bantamweight champion in the UFC history, right? I mean, he brought the division from the WEC over to the UFC, uh, and he's been a legend of the sport for for, for many, many years. Um, you know, through all the injuries, he he's just find a, found a will to find a way. And uh, I have so much respect for the man, right? I mean, the IQ is always on point. You know, he's always there to fight. Of course, the footwork is a thing of beauty. Um, and, and, and like, I love the guy, you know, he, I think he's a good commentator. He's good for the UFC. Um, but it, this is just one of those things, man, where this is just Marlon Bear's time. I mean, we've seen, you know, we, we've seen him or we, we've seen him evolve in front of our eyes, uh, which is crazy. This is 20th UFC fight. And, you know, I'm sure you guys have seen that, that early tape and man, the evolution is, is so, so evident with, with Cheeto, man, uh, you know, for what it's worth most finishes in UFC bantamweight history with nine. So like the man, the man's the man, right? I mean, he's just there to, to exert dominance. And, um, you know, we, we, we see, we saw in, in the, uh, in the Rob Font fight, you know, how he's able to continue to build, uh, throughout the fight. You know, he just continues to pick it up that motor. It, it's just, um, it's a thing of beauty, man. You know, the, the, the gas tank is, is to the T, you know, he's extraordinarily well-trained, super hard worker, um, and, and again, I just think that this is one of those things, man, Vera, you know, is going to have the eight year, I believe it's eight year, uh, age difference in this spot. Um, I think that the power shots, the, the significant strikes are just going to be way more impactful. Uh, it was kind of funny. I was looking at the, the, the round props for Cruz and it's like kind of, kind of comical. Uh, like I think round one, it's like well over 20 to one for him to, and then as it progresses, it's just, it's wild, but it, it just shows you that Cruz doesn't really have that power i mean he's never really been known for the power it's more or less the iq and and staying composed staying wise there but you know that ecuadorian spirit in vera man is just something to behold um i i think that he's just gonna get the job done i i, I again i respect cruz um and, and you know i heard a lot of the arguments well you know cruz is probably going to win the minutes and you know that's probably true um you know chito isn't really necessarily known to put out a, a ton of volume especially off the bat um, but it's one of those things like whether he's winning the minutes or not, it may not matter if Vera knocks him out. So I think that's what we're going to see. I, I, I like a third round knockout here by Vera. Um, I've already got the five units at minus 195. Tempted to sprinkle the round two, three, and four props. But as you guys know, I haven't had the best of luck with those recently taking these round one, round twos, and then the finishes in round three. Uh, of course, most recently over the weekend. And then, um, what was it in the Sherman fight? I think I, I, as well i've had the round one round yeah, you had rounds one and two let me ask you kev is is five units this your biggest bet yeah started yeah. tracking right since yeah the past four months correct yeah so the the biggest up to date is the alexander rockets uh at, at four it was like four point something units but you know this is the biggest play um since tracking uh, i think this is our 14th event tracking so i'm just confident in the spot man i just think that cheeto has the tools to get the job done um Again, I respect Cruz. I'm not overlooking what he brings to the table, but I just think that at this age, we're really going to see. Uh, I mean, I think we already saw some red flags in his previous two fights, but I just, I just think Vera is just going to dominate here. 
Um, maybe we'll give him the Dominator nickname after this fight. But <laughs> yeah, I, I'm ha I'm heavy on Vera, guys. I'm heavy on Vera. I'm really intrigued to hear what Liam has to say. Um, I, I know Matt, Dan, I, I got the gist that you guys are probably well. I know Dan is definitely leaning there. I know earlier in the week Matt was leaning Cruz. So yeah, I'm just really intrigued to hear your guys' thoughts. And uh, you know, should be should be a, a dope main event, 100. percent Yeah, Liam, why, why don't you start us off here? Sure. Um, so, yeah, I think that this is a fascinating fight. You know, um, I started watching back Dominic Cruz tape and it brought me back to where I was when I bet these fights. You know, I bet uh, Casey Kenny. I was thinking to myself, you know, no way Dominic Cruz coming back um, and going to look, you know, a fraction of himself. I was like all the surgeries, the injuries, five round fights. I just didn't believe in his uh, prospects coming back. I was surprised by that performance. You know, uh, Casey Kenny has had pretty good success so far in the UFC uh, and like built himself up to that fight. You know, he, he had been on a bit of a roll and Tom Cruise halted that momentum. So I had to, you know, take the L there uh, with my man, Casey Kenny and, and move on. And so the next fight, you know, I kind of learned my lesson, right? I did bet on Tom Cruise as an underdog there against Pedro Munoz. Uh, and I bet him by decision in that fight as well. Um, so both plus money numbers there and, they both turned out to work out for me and it wasn't without a sweat, right? We had that moment where Dom Cruz goes down. You have to ask yourself, you know, um, is that going to be a problem? Is that going to be something where, you know, maybe he can't take the punches. He can't take the damage uh, at this level anymore. But then I think you see the championship heart, the championship adjustments, you know, the fact that he grabs that sit out Peterson and rolls through and he's just like holding on to the wrist, regathering himself comes out, in the scramble on top and then throwing punches, you know, I, I think people have a little bit of a, you know, uh, they're judging with, with too harsh of standards. Like Dom Cruz isn't getting takedowns in his last couple fights. Yeah. Casey Kenny's a judo black belt uh, who it's not easy to take him down. He's physically strong. He's a big bantamweight. And then Pedro Munoz, it's like, do you want to take that guy down? He's got the nastiest guillotine in the bantamweight division. Who's taking him down and like wrote out time up. Like somebody get back to me there. Frankie Edgar danced around him. Uh, and, and outboxed it because he didn't want to try and take this guy down. It's like, no one wants to take down Pedro Munoz. So I think that Cheeto Verrett's a whole different ballgame, right? Cheeto can get taken down. He he has been taken down. But Dom isn't a guy who perennially, you know, takes people down and lays on top of them or something. So it's going to have to be a pretty, you know, uh, well-thought-out, strategic, tactical battle if Dominic Cruz is going to win. If it turns into a fight, that's when Cheeto Vera wins the fight. You know, it's like Cheeto is a dangerous guy. I talk about a lot. Uh, I like to find guys who are dangerous. I like to find guys who could win the fight, who could stop the fight, who could finish the fight. But I will also say, you know, Cheeto Vera has been um, hit with some clean shots in basically every fight. You know, Dominic Cruz, uh, he mostly doesn't get hit cleanly. When he does get hit cleanly, it's mattered, right? Pedro Munoz hit him cleanly, uh, dropped him bad. Um Cody Garbrandt hit him cleanly, dropped him bad. But, you know, those are uh, a few examples. Like the guy's been outstruck numerically twice in his career, you know, on the numbers, he's only been out uh, outstruck numerically two times. And for me, that's, that's uh, interesting. It's revelatory. You know, Cheeto has been outstruck in, in many of his wins. You know, the guy is just a powerful hitter and he does impactful damage when he lands. So I think that Cheeto if he wants to win the fight, he's either going to have to find a finish or he's going to have to take over the fight as it goes. He's going to have to add up, um, you know, uh, work over time. He's going to have to land things like leg kicks, body work to try and slow down Cruz. Cause I do think that at distance, you know, Cruz is going to be a little bit faster, even at this age, in my opinion. 
Um, I think he's a little bit more dynamic with his mixed martial arts in the sense that he will mix in the takedown attempts much more often. They actually complete takedowns at a similar rate in terms of accuracy, but one guy attempts them all the time and one guy virtually never does. And so I think that for those reasons, you know, I would be looking more towards a dog shot or a uh, live entry on the Cheeto Vera side. I do think you're going to get a better price on him after a round or two. I think that, you know, Dom Cruz in most of his fights doesn't look like a plus 200 underdog. That's the truth, but it's five rounds and five rounds, a long time to be out there with somebody. That's a long time to not get hit. You know, Frankie Edgar, I thought was doing a great job, but at the 12 minute mark, he's starting to slow down. He's the older fighter. Cheeto's just getting started. It was a disaster for Frankie. And like, it was a matter of time kind of stoppage where he lands the kick, but what if he had landed, you know, five punches, you know, Frankie was just not in a good spot to defend there. And I think that, uh, that, that same thing could happen here. You know, people get old overnight. It's a bantamweight division. So I'm not, uh, you know, I haven't made any bets on the fight yet. Uh, but I, I did think to myself, you know, I don't want to get caught with my pants down, you know, laying a lot of chalk against Dominic Cruz. And then he does the dance and he moves around and he makes people miss and he mixes in takedowns that only last for 10 seconds, but he wins the round. He's a very vet savvy kind of guy. And for me, the determination, you know, the dedication, everything he's done to get back to this point, most guys don't beat a Casey Kenny on the comeback tour. You know, most guys just wash out at that stage. And for him to get to this point where he's back in five round fights, uh, back at the top of the bill, looking for an opportunity, you know, if one guy could do it at, at the bantamweight division and get back to that title opportunity, I, I do think it is Dom Cruz. And I think that Cheeto Vera, he's still young. He's still developing. You know, it's like the guys had 19, 20 fights. Uh, in the UFC, but he's still on a development course. He still could get better. Whereas Dom Cruz, it's shit or get off the pot. You know, it's like, he's basically said in his interviews, like if I lose this fight, you know, who knows what I'm going to do next? Cause like, I'm here for the title. That's it. So I think that for Dom Cruz, he's all in. Um, I think that for Cheeto Vera, this is another big opportunity for him, but you know, it wasn't a fight without issue against Rob Font last time out. And Rob Font never sniffed the level of a Dom Cruz with you know, love and respect. So I think that uh, it's a hell of a fight. It's a great matchup. And um, I'm just excited to see how it plays out, man. Yeah, great, great fight. Um, and great takes from both you guys. I think, um, you know, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, I think betting uh, Cheeto live is actually a great approach to this fight because I do think after round one, maybe round two, um, you know, we'll get a much better line. The thing about, you know, Vera is that he is a bit of a slow starter. Um, he's, you know, most of his fights in recent history, I mean, he's he's lost that first round, in some cases, even the second, right? Um, I, I I had bet Frankie against Cheeto, and uh, what a, a butt punch that fight was for me. You know, it was like... I had the same bet, too. Oh, man, like he was he was doing good just until he wasn't. And you kind of you kind of saw the writing on the wall as the fight progressed. And that's the thing that's so dangerous about Cheeto is that, yes, he's a bit of a slow starter. But um, once he downloads, you know, that 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 data and, and he gets his timing going, the guy just puts the pedal to the metal. And then, he, you know, he, he just starts to crush. And um, I think one one piece of this fight is being a little bit overlooked is the, the kicking game of Cheeto Vera. Um, it's, it's drastically improved. Um, you know, we saw him hit Rob Font with some, with some, with some nice kicks. I mean, honestly, I was kind of, I wasn't really expecting that truth be told from him, but, um, you know, we saw in the, in the Cejudo fight that, you know, if you can, if you can, uh, you know, mess with Cruz's mobility, um, that, that really messes up his game, right? I mean, his whole game is all footwork, right? So I think if we can see Vera 
start to you know chop down, get some land some calf kicks early on in the fight. Um, I mean, I say that Vera's a slow starter, but look, I mean, in the last couple of fights, Cruz hasn't really been a it hasn't looked good in the first round either, right? I mean, he almost lost in that first round against against Munoz, um, Casey Kenny, right? That was that was a close one. So, you know, I think uh, you know five six years ago, I think Cruz kind of steamrolls Cheeto here. A um, little bit older. I think he still has good footwork. I don't think he's as quick as he was at one point, but still still very effective. Still, you know, there, there are very few guys in this division that are going to be able to hold the candle to Cruz, at, 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 especially even at this point in his career. Um, but Cheeto, you know, again, I like to look at not just the, the physical attributes, but the, but the mental side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, both guys very, very mentally tough. Cheeto, man, this guy is just laser focused, and and um, I love what he's doing with Jason Perillo. Like it, uh, you know, if I, if, you know, seeing kind of his training regimen over the last few months, uh, you know, on social media, um, clearly putting in the work. I mean, you were seeing what he was saying in media day yesterday. He he expects nothing less. You know, you know, this is the kind of guy that you know when he's stepping in, he's done everything that he can um, to prep himself. So. No doubt that I think he's uh, he, he's going to be you know ready for for a five round war. And I think you know if this is if this goes three rounds, I probably lean Cruz. Truth be told, just because you know that you know the fight IQ. I mean, I think he can he can adjust and and you know three rounds tends to cater a little bit better towards older fighters, especially at the at the lighter weight class. Um, but five rounds, man. I think you know we see first couple rounds be very competitive, but. Um, I think the longer this fight goes, we see Cheeto start to take over, and um, a finish might be tough. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm probably leaning Vera by decision here. Um, right now, you know, my only play on this, I've got I've got Cheeto in a couple parlays, but um, I uh, I'll probably be live betting live betting Cheeto here. I really want to see if he's going to implement like a, a strong uh, you know leg kicking game. It's uh, I I really think that Cejudo kind of laid the blueprint on how you attack um, someone with, with Cruz's style. So be interesting to see his approach here. Yeah, I, I have so many, like, contrasting opinions when it comes to this fight. I mean, you guys both know early on I was, you know, trying to defend Dominic Cruz in this position here, and that was back when he was, you know, much less of an underdog than he is currently at, like, plus 195. And I, I just struggle with, with a lot of, you know, all these takes going on in my head. I mean, the first one overall is, the age difference, right? I mean, Cheeto Vera, obviously in the prime of his career, Dom Cruz, you could say he's, he's over the hill, right? A little bit, but, um, you know, that's, that's usually a metric that's pretty accurate when it comes to looking at these fights, right? Especially in the bantamweight division. But then when you break it down, you know, I do think that Cheeto's going to struggle, you know, landing those leg kicks due to the mobility of Dom Cruz and just the different angles that he's able to to come at and, and get away from. I mentioned that, you know, Pedro Munoz only landed 19 leg kicks in three rounds against Dominic Cruz, and we all know that's a big part of his game. I mean, he usually lands like 40 to 50 leg kicks per fight, so you just seeing the drop-off in numbers there, you could tell how difficult it is to implement those kicks against someone like Dom Cruz. And, you know, Liam did mention Dom Cruz – he got dropped a few times in that first round against Pedro Munoz his last time out. So it's a little bit scary. And you got to wonder, can he take that kind of damage over five rounds against Cheeto? The answer is no. Like, he definitely still has a chin on him. But to take that over a course of 25 minutes at this point in his career, I don't see that happening, right? And I think that anyone not named Rob Font, for the most part, gets knocked out in that last fight versus Cheeto Vera because Rob Font's a very durable guy. I mean, we saw him against Jose Aldo. The fact that he survived to the bell there, that was impressive enough. He comes out his next time out, and he survives all those onslaughts from Cheeto Vera. So 
you know, you got to give credit to Rob Font's durability and chin there because I think most bantamweights crumble under that pressure and power from that ground and pound that Cheeto was landing. But I really struggle because Dominic Cruz, he's shown us that he's still fighting and he's still fighting at a high level. I mean, we saw Pedro Munoz is no slouch, right? I mean, he just won. He, whether you agree with it or not, he took off the first round from uh, Sean O'Malley, one of the biggest prospects coming up in that division. And, you know, Cheeto does have a win over Sean O'Malley, but I keep thinking back to the Frankie Edgar fight, right? Even the Rob Font fight a little bit. It's just Cheeto's losing these minutes. And if it wasn't for, you know, you can't call it a fluke head kick because, you know, he planned it, he landed it, he got the knockout win with the head kick. If it weren't for that, I think he loses that fight, right? I think the scorecards were in Frankie's favor at that point. I think the third round was up for grabs. And then you look at Rob Font, right? I mean, I think Rob Font landed like 400 strikes against Cheeto Vera. And uh, I guess we lost Liam. He's only in with sound only right now. But, uh, you know, you look at Cheeto, right? And he's just, um, you know, he's losing these minutes. And if he can't put out Dom Cruz or land damage, which I think is going to be hard to do due to the mobility of Dom Cruz, I find, you know, a path to victory kind of difficult to back on the Cheeto side, right? Because if he's not able to land those big blows, how else is he winning this fight? And, you know, we, we mentioned it before, Dan, you know, you said that uh, Dom Cruz has pillows for hands, but... He has such a frustrating style because, like I mentioned, first of all, he's hard to hit. Second of all, he's going to game plan better than you. And his fight IQ is amongst the highest of all active UFC fighters and all UFC fighters of all time. And he knows that, you know, Cheeto Vera is kind of a hothead. I think that if Cheeto's not able to find success early, he can start reaching for some stuff. And Dom's going to be able to punish him in ways, you know, not typical with power, but just his activity. He gets in your face. I think I mentioned it to you guys the other day. I think in his fight against Pedro Munoz, Dom Cruz landed like 271 total strikes. And you look at the total numbers for Chito Vera in a five-rounder versus Rob Fani landed around 299. So when you're dealing with that, you know, sort of activity in your face, if he could extend that over a five-round period, that's going to frustrate Chito Vera. And I, I really struggle to see him getting those power shots off. But we saw Munoz do damage to Dom Cruz the last time out. So that worries me a little bit on the Dom Cruz side. So I'm kind of going back and forth here. I definitely will not take Chito Vera at minus 240. I can tell you that much just a matter of if I'm willing to take the dog here at plus 200 and I keep reverting back to his last fight versus Rob Font, right? I can't sit here and tell you Rob Font's a better fighter than Dom Cruz at this current point right now in time. And, you know, Cheeto Vera was plus 100 in that fight and I didn't bet him there. Majority of people didn't bet Cheeto at plus 100 there, but now they're all running to the, to the counter now to take him a minus 240. It's kind of a head scratch. I don't know if it's a slight on Dom Cruz that they're doing this and his age at 37 years old, or if they really think that this matchup just caters itself well to Cheeto. So for that reason, I definitely can't place a bet on Cheeto in this spot, especially not at minus 240 when I wouldn't take him at plus 100, just one fight to go in a five rounder. Yeah, one thing I just want to I say. took him there, I will say. Sorry about that. Oh, sorry, sorry. I thought that that was a good plus money spot, but now you're being asked to lay 70%. Yeah, but I find it hard to back him at minus two forty if you didn't take him at plus one hundred there, right? So that that's where it kind of comes, and you're going to see like eighty percent of bets come in on Cheeto Vera this week when I think like forty five came in on him last time out at even money. So just for that reason, you know these books are pretty smart; they know what they're doing, they know where the money's going to come in at regardless of the line. So definitely not going to back Cheeto. Like I mentioned, it's just a matter of if I'm willing to, you know, grow the cojones and and, and take Dom Cruz at plus two hundred. Yeah, one thing I just wanted to point out about Cruz, um, just about his career, especially like you know his career in the WC. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, once they created that division in the UFC, we saw all the guys come over. But um, you know, 
in the WC, the guy was smashing. But, but the thing about it is that a lot of the guys that you see in beat, you know, um, you know, Demetrius Johnson, Faber, Benavides. I mean, these are all um, these are all small guys. You know, there's there's I, I, you know, compared to compared to a guy like Cheeto, right? I think um, that's going to play a little. You know, that's going to play a factor here. Um, whereas you know, you got a guy you know similar size that I think Cruz has been able to you know make a career out of using his footwork and his reach, and I, I don't think that he's going to be the reach isn't going to be as uh, as profound here. Um, and that's why I think I really like, like the physicality aspect that Cheeto brings to the table here. I think that Dom, you know, if he doesn't dance around you um, and you rough him up, I mean, he, you know, credit to him. I mean, the guy can throw down, right? Even when he's getting, when he's getting clipped, we saw him in the guard right front, got shot multiple times, um, mentally tough guy, he'll be there. But I think um, that's the kind of fight that I want. You know, that's the kind of fight that I think Cheeto excels in. And um, I don't think he'll be able to, to bully him. I think Cheeto's going to come in there. He's he's going to have, you know, the same gas tank in minute one as minute 25. You know, we know he's going to be there. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. I think that Cruz has, um, he, you know, throughout most of his career, he's, he's fought guys that maybe weren't at the right weight class, especially in the WC days. And um, lately what we've been seeing him you know, having a little bit more trouble against, you know, true 135-pounders. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, great main event. I mean, it's it, for sure going to be a banger, and uh, it's uh, Gio Vera season, baby. I'm, I'm with you, man. And and for the record, I'm also with you in the sense of if this is a three round fight, I'm I'm taking Cruz at these odds. I just think that it, that additional ten minute, those additional ten minutes is when if we see that is when Vera is really going to pour it on. And um, you know, again, like you you guys have said a lot of great thoughts, and um, you know, I think with those leg kicks, uh, if he can land those leg kicks early. Uh, and just kind of immobilize that movement of um, of Dom Cruz here. Again, we're just going to see see uh, Cheeto pour it on, and that's kind of how I envision this fight. Um, again, I have so much respect for Cruz, but again, it's his Vera's time. Uh, it's kind of funny because you know Vera is is the Lat Latino commentator, uh, and then Cruz is the American commentator for the UFC. So the battle of the commentators, it's, uh, it's for uh, sure. And I. I Man, I just envision this weird uh, uh, thought that potentially if Vera knocks him out, you know, just out hustles Dom Cruz from top to bottom that, you know, we could see Dom Cruz, you know, take off the the gloves and, and wrap up a career. Um, there's just no reason to push anything. And obviously being, you know, in that commentator booth, you don't want to make too much of an embarrassment of yourself. So, you know, again, most respect to Dom Cruz. Love the guy. But. I just feel really good about Dom Cruz's or excuse me about Vera's intensity and what he brings to the table. But, um, you know, and then I just want to tail that off by again, thanking Liam so much for joining the show. Of course, we're finishing up here. Um, there, there is no secret that you're one of the pioneers in MMA, on MMA Twitter and, uh, you know, just kind of what you bring and, and the research and all that good jazz. Uh, so we really appreciate your time and hopefully this won't be the last. Absolutely, man. Had a blast. Always down to talk fights and let me know anytime you need me. Happy to come back on and talk about him again. Of course. And Liam, before we have you leave here, make sure to plug your socials. Tell us where to find you on Twitter, you know, all your links, Action Network, whatever it may be. Absolutely. Appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, you can find me on Rotogrinders, scoresandodds.com, Odds Jam, and also newly on the Action Network. So writing Dana White Contender Series previews for them. Uh, excited about that. And it's always the same process for me, right back to work. I do my own show uh, as well. Liam picks fights every week. Be recording that later today when my full research is done. 
Um, so yeah, you guys can check me out everywhere at Liam Picks Fights. Always talking about fights or getting in them. So uh, we'll we'll see you guys uh, in the future. But I'm I'm excited to see what you guys are doing. Uh, great production values, and you guys sound like you really know what you're talking about when it comes to the fight. So truly wish you nothing but uh, the best and all the success in the world. Hey Liam, last question: What does Bo Nickel open up as in his next Contender Series fight? Uh, minus a thousand or above, and he closes minus four thousand or above. Uh, the guy is an absolute stud, and uh, I, I, I'm not trying to say like, oh, I called Bo Nick. I'm just saying he's not like most American wrestlers where he comes in with a wrestling background. He has the jujitsu. I've seen him go against competent black belts, oh, look yeah. good off his back in the guard uh, as well as on the feet, and I think that in terms of his competitive spirit like ice in his veins supreme competitor uh is going to be a real problem for everybody i think he'd be a favorite over most ufc middleweights yeah, yeah he was I, like, uh, minus 10 that he he was expecting minus 10,000 and anything uh <laughs> anything <laughs> under that is a steal i saw him like chirping in the comments of like well of, of uh i think it was like an mma junkie post chirping at people like hey man it's free money like brokies don't want to don't want to <laughs> you know throw your money down man it's free you know, i love that the guy is yeah. uh you know the guy is definitely gonna go somewhere um, yeah i mean i mentioned it the other day to you guys i think bo nickel and I, I say this, you know, not trying to cause a hot take. I think he has the highest ceiling of any UFC fighter on the roster. I think that his ceiling goes to a place where others just don't, just based off his, you know, his credentials and everything. You know, I, I can't speak highly enough on Bo Nickel. But, I'm with you. All right, guys. Thank you again. Hope you guys enjoyed the UFC San Diego breakdown. Kev, thank you. Dan, thank you. Liam, thank you again. Make sure you tune into our Twitter spaces this Saturday at 11 a.m. Liam, if you're free, I'd love you to hop by there at the fight night. We'll be breaking it down prelim to main event once again. So, uh, guys, make sure you join in there, and we'll catch you next time. Peace.